welcome to our Great Conversations podcast on restructuring and recovery in the construction and real estate sector. I'm Brendan Sharkey, Head of Construction and Real Estate at MHA, and I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague Georgina Eason, who specialises in this area and is a licensed insolvency practitioner and registered fixed charge receiver. Unfortunately, she manages a number of distressed properties, complex bankruptcies, numerous insolvent liquidations, solvent reconstructions, CVAs, and administrations. A little bit of a mouthful there, Georgina. Hi, Brendan. Thanks for inviting me along. Uh, yeah, quite a uh, diverse portfolio in terms of um, matters that I get involved with. Keeps it interesting. Okay, let's start off with some basics then. What do the terms administration and receivership, insolvency, etc. mean for the business or an individual? Um, all insolvency processes unfortunately impact on the real estate and construction sector, but I'll just go through the couple that you mentioned and start off by explaining what insolvency is. Um, so the definition is actually found in section 123 of the Insolvency Act, for anyone who wants to look that up. Um, and generally it is that a company can't afford to pay its debts as and when they fall due. Um, so, for example, they receive a, a demand for business rates and they can't settle that. Or the company is balance sheet insolvent. So the liabilities outweigh the assets um, or indeed both of these tests are met. Generally, we will see either one or the other, um, but sometimes both of those tests. Um, so admin is a prime example of an insolvency process that's commonly used in this area. Um, in most situations where they use the company is insolvent, um, but the business or part of the business can be saved. So it's seen as more of a rescue procedure as opposed to liquidations that are more commonly used or known as burials or terminal procedures. Um, so an insolvency practitioner such as myself must control the process and I have to set out proposals to creditors to achieve one of three objectives. The first objective is to rescue the company as a going concern. Um, if we can't do that, so if we can't actually sell um, you know, the shares of, of the company, etc., then we have to look to achieve a better result for creditors as a whole than were the company to go straight into liquidation, which is the terminal procedure that I've just mentioned um, and usually used where there's no restructure possible. And if neither of those can be met, uh, then the third and final one is that I have to be able to make a distribution to a secured or preferential creditor of the company. Um, so to assist me in the process, the company is afforded a moratorium, which stops the creditors pursuing legal action uh, without consent of the court. So it's effectively to give the company breathing space to achieve the objective that I set out. Um, it's usually commenced by the application to court. That can be by creditors, the directors, a liquidator or a supervisor of a CVA um, or the out of court process route uh, where a notice is filed at court and the proposals are sent out, but there's no hearing as such. Um, these are usually uh, director or lender led appointments and lender side. They're made under the floating charge and the powers contained within those. Um, the out-of-court process is usually used where there's a petition to wind up the company on file or there's another issue such as um, with the COMI, i.e. where is the centre of main interests, should the, the um, proceedings be launched in the UK, etc. Um, so my duty as an IP, which is an insolvency practitioner, um, is to realise the best price for the assets or business and then make a distribution to one or more creditors. 
and the process you uh, lasts for 12 months unless an extension is applied for such as if we've got you know properties to sell or book debt to collect in which haven't been um, able to be we haven't been able to achieve that within the last 12 months um, receivership on the other hand is um, made under the powers contained within the lenders fixed charge or under um, the law of property act 1925 um, it, the, a receivership isn't only over property, but is in the main used for that, can be over intellectual property or the goodwill of a business. Um, and usually um, I'm appointed over property, so part built developments, uh, residential, commercial, um, on behalf of the lender to repay the debt to the lender. So the main difference between the two processes is administration, I have a duty to all the creditors and the receivership. My primary duty is to the appointor, i.e. the lender. Um, so uh, within our team, we've got a, a large number of live receiverships and administrations, and a high percentage of these appointments are made by lenders that we work with, and a number of these are industry-specific lenders, such as development finance um, lenders. We are in troubled times, let's be honest, and things could get worse. And as you know, I'm I'm really sort of focused on the construction real estate sector. So what is what is happening? What can you see happening? What is the prognosis for the future in this sector, given what we're facing at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, sadly that that is true and has been true for quite some time in terms of um, the sector being impacted. So whilst the government GDP report for August 22, which is the most recent stats that I've looked at, shows new build constructions up by 0.4% in that month uh, and that was the second consecutive month of growth for the sector um, and in August 22 um, construction was at its highest level since 2010 which would indicate a buoyant sector um, which is obviously critical to the success of the UK economy. Um, conversely insolvency statistics for that same month show that construction and real estate made up 20% of the total corporate insolvencies which indicates that the sectors are still suffering difficulties um, and those difficulties could become greater over the next few months um, obviously due to the economic and political uncertainty. Uh, with the interest rates rising, mortgage rates increasing, together with inflation and the cost of basic products, it's likely to put further pressure on the house building sector in terms of reduced demand for residential property um, and possibly a fall in residential property prices. Most projects are long term in, in nature, so houses under construction today may become less valuable and margins may be squeezed. We've already seen this affecting some of the matters that we've been appointed on, including bankruptcies where sales uh, where purchases have pulled out of residential sales recently. Uh, we work with a number of agents and surveyors in the sector to assist us with our real estate appointments, and they're also citing falling demand of purchase prices um, due to market uncertainty. Yeah, I feel as though everything's coming at us too quickly in the industry um, and, and we are talking about sizable businesses. So what can the construction industry do? What, what is there any specific things that they should be taking on board at, at this point in time? Yeah, I mean, I think we would always say that um, early engagement with professionals is key, um, particularly in communication with your lenders. Uh, the worst thing that you could do is to ignore 
um, anyone that, that chooses to communicate with you in, in terms of difficulties that you're facing. So don't bury your head in the sand, basically. Um, so yeah, I mean, in addition to the, the challenges we've just discussed, the, the um, construction industry is usually involved with these long-term projects. So managing the cost of borrowing and, and keeping a close eye on the cash flow are essential. Um, so you, know, you need a, a good sort of in-house or external team to support that regular cash flows, monitoring, um, you know, production of monthly management accounts so that you really know what's going on with the, within the business. Um, and given the contractual nature um, of a lot of the construction real estate issues where you've got the client contractor relationship, any disputes, um, you know, such as retentions or delays or penalties that are enforced um, can turn a, what was seemingly a profitable project into a loss making burden on a company. Um, also, what we're seeing as well, which is not so industry specific, but is quite relevant at the moment, is the repayment of the government COVID-19 financial support scheme loans, which is a bit of a mouthful, um, such as the bounce back loans, the C-bills loans, and the large business interruption scheme loans. Um, these are starting to be required to repay now, and again, are putting further pressure on the cash flow. Um, so a number of companies involved in the sector will have taken advantage of these loans, um, and the loans now require repaying over different stipulated periods of time. Um, I mean, it's got such, to such a point that the government have become so concerned with the repayment of these loans and the reasons that they were taken out that they've introduced uh, new legislation to allow the insolvency service, um, which is part of the, the government, to disqualify directors for coronavirus financial support scheme fraud. Um, and looking at some stats from the beginning of the financial year, 445 enforcements have been made by the insolvency service already. And 200 of those were abuse of these loans. Um, and these can result in disqualification as a director and directors being ordered to pay compensation. So again, just key to, um, you know, keep speaking to banks, etc., so that you don't sort of fall foul of, of any of these claims for uh, abuse, etc. if a, a company does go into a process. Yeah, I've got to be honest, but my experience was that the Sybil's loans, etc., actually saved the construction industry big time. Um, so they did take on quite a bit of debt. It will be on their books. And, you know, we thought we were coming out of COVID. And of course, we are. But of course, these other problems are coming along unexpectedly, possibly. And directors have got a position here to look at themselves and, and their responsibility. I'm, and and I'm, I'm always aware that ultimately directors can get sued for malfeasance or whatever. What, 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 and, and how do you help directors? I mean, what, what can you do and what's, what's available to them? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, just to repeat it, because it is the most important point to make, seeking that early, um, you know, advice is key. So, even if directors don't think that the company you know, needs to go into liquidation or they really need to look at administration, they just want that kind of support to work out whether or not they are insolvent or to look at kind of new funding or they want assistance with structuring repayments to creditors who might be banging on the door. Um, that's where we can help. So we can advise on you know, possible so uh, cost savings to assist companies, um, help them draw up their cash flows and obviously we work with the the wider MHA team on that so it might be that we would pair up with um, you know the someone like yourself who's responsible for the client relationship so it's very much seen as a working together how can we avoid 
insolvency? Sometimes it, it can hit you Monday morning. You've lost a job, something's gone wrong. You know, the world's falling apart. What do you do there? This can be quite serious. I mean, people have got jobs, life, you know, money to pay, bills to pay, all the rest of it. Your thoughts on that position? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, that suffering a bad debt. So, you know, I, I'll mention it probably later, but, you know, if, if you were if you were involved with Carillion or, you know, at, at that point, we yeah. saw a massive sort of domino effect there, whereby, you know, those debts, debts then hit smaller, um, you know, companies sort of involved in and I mean it sort of got, got out of control in in that sense but um, I think you know the key is we can save a business just because the, the company is insolvent you know like there's pl plenty of procedures and processes that we can um, help to save and turn around the business and hand it back to the directors such as a, a company voluntary arrangement which is a, yes. a formal agreement between um, the creditors and um, the company itself um, where you know so that company can actually remain live um, and you know creditors have the opportunity to vote on the proposal um, and then you know again suppliers will be paid um, you know a lot of the, the proposals that we put forward are 100p in the pound they might be um, repaid over five years um, but they will be repaid as opposed to having to go into liquidation when returns to creditors are, are very low and therefore you're having an impact on your own customers and suppliers who you may have you know long-standing relationships with and with employees as well obviously um, paramount to the business employees and CBAs continue to work for the company so you're saving those jobs and again a lot of the time in the administrations as well it will be a pre-packaged sale a large number of those are back to management and again employees are cheapened over to the new company so saving those jobs so the key is to get that early advice it's not always uh, the absolute disaster that it might seem on that monday morning when you uh, get a phone call to say that your largest client has gone into a, a process um you know and, and you're just panicking and wondering what to do so you know that's what we're here for really is it correct that if a director takes advice on this potential insolvency that gives them some sort of protection Yes, so um, in terms of limiting liability, which obviously most directors are, are concerned about in terms of personal liability, um, if you seek advice, then um, you know the, the risk of being made personally liable for any of the debts of the company um, is reduced. Um, so you know all directors want to avoid avoid being disqualified, fined, or imprisoned. Um, I mean, a, a recent high-profile example of of where. Um, the Insolvency Act was actually used to um, put an individual in prison uh, was obviously Boris Becker going to to prison. So both bankrupts and directors can go to prison for, for sort of wrongdoing. Um, and I'm not sure at what stage he took advice or who from. Well, I know who from, but I'm, I'm not sure if he got there there early enough, you know, when he was making those decisions to, um, you know, sort of move assets around or when any director is looking at potentially doing so. Um, they should understand the consequences of that before actually taking those steps. Yeah, no, that's that's a very solid advice, and given the way um, you know the law works against people, and and the courts want to take action against people. So, um, and I think sometimes the directors just aren't aware. You know, we've got uh, yeah. a lot of powers as insolvency practitioners to go for preference payments or transactions at an undervalue, and particularly, I think when directors are are stressed. 
um, you know, and they start sort of turning assets into cash to assist and thinking, you know, that's a good thing to do because I, it enables me to pay my employees, et cetera. Again, if you're not doing that for, for true value um, and, and, you know, it's, it sort of happens quite often in a desperate situation, you can be uh, in a position where you've got to... Yeah, you're digging a bigger hole, really, yeah. aren't you? That's the reality. Yeah, basically, or at least understand the position before you make the, the choice, really, because sometimes, you know, these things can can be okay, but it's best to know if it's okay or not. So you've gone through the whole process of different options for a business that's struggling. What are the signs to look out for? I mean, it may be your own business. It may be one of your customers' business that you're dependent on getting paid, or maybe one of your suppliers. What are the things you should look for? Yeah, so in terms of sort of early warning signs, as you say, for um, you know any, anyone involved within the company or indeed if you're looking to um, you know party up with um, another um, professional um, I mean sort of losses and, and lack of profitability obviously um, bad debts increasing um, cash dwindling um, overdrafts starting to be used or sort of reaching limits um, as I said a minute ago selling assets to raise um, cash are sort of some of the main ones really um you know in terms of industry specific stuff um you know less men on site for example on a development um you know due to uh, then potentially being moved on to more profitable sites um or or going elsewhere um no raises so no salary increases um hiring freezes so there's there's quite um a number of sort of early indicators that that we would see or, or directors should look out for really. Are there any potential changes to the legislation? Do, 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 do we have any potential relaxation in difficult times or is the law the law and you're actually faced with what it is and you're up against it? No, I mean, I think, you know, in terms of the difficult times, obviously the government um, brought in certain things to try and help um, within the sector, um, which again frustrated various other um, sort of landlords, for example, mm. within the sector, you yeah. know, a, a landlord with, um, you know, a, a property, a sizable property portfolio in the residential, um, you know, would often be faced with sort of insolvent tenants and, and things like that. And they just weren't able to enforce because the government put in in rules that prevented that. So, uh, yes, there's often changes in, in legislation that come in uh, that will benefit some and, and not others. But in terms of when you're insolvent, what protection do you have? The, the main one is to get that advice early, um, as we mentioned earlier, and, and to try and just limit your, your liabilities, really. Business owners always have a, a relationship with their staff. How are staff involved? What's the ramifications for an insolvency situation with their staff? Yeah, I mean, it depends on, on what process. So employees have uh, much higher rights than, for example, an unsecured a, you know, a general sort of trade creditor, if you like, um, which is obviously a, a good thing um, because employees, you know, have their own mortgages to pay, families to look after. So they are supported by um, the government. I mean, it's quite a, a complex area, but in the main, um, wages and holiday pays are, are, is seen as sort of a preferential payment. So they're quite high up pecking order. So they, they're below secured creditors. So they would sit behind a bank, but ahead of 
the trade predators um, and the government has um, a unit called the redundancy payment service and they actually deal with all of employees claims so the minute an employee is affected um, and their company goes into liquidation they've got helplines um, we provide forms that they need to complete they're given a case reference number and then um, the the redundancy payments office will help them the redundancy, redundancy payments office um, do actually make those payments directly to the employees and then they in turn stand in the shoes of the employee as a creditor within the process um, but the reason for that is so that the employees can get their money as quickly as possible um, so depending on the type of claim you know whether it's for wages holiday redundancy pay notice pay um, that they aim to get some of those payments out within sort of three to six weeks if we're looking at doing dividends to creditors this can be sometimes sort of 12 months down the line so the aim is is to assist them there are lots of caps and um, you know sort of particular conditions um, to look at in terms of getting um, that money repaid um, but the, the main cap is at 571 pounds a week so depending on how much money you earn it really depends on what what return you get but at least they do have that part preferential status for, for wages and holiday um, unsecured element for notice pay and redundancy but there is help there so um, they get they they do get um, help, uh, but now HMRC also rank as a preferential creditor for, for certain elements of what they're owed as well. But those are the two that are elevated above um, unsecured creditors. Yes, I was going to ask you about the Crown debt and how they ranked, because I know they've changed the law very recently, haven't Yeah, which, you know, again, causes complications in terms of, you know, lenders now looking at, at that and um, because obviously in terms of the lenders, this, the secured part of their debt will get paid first but if they've got unsecured lending in there as well um, part of HMRC's debt will be ahead of that so they're keeping lenders are keeping much more of a close eye on um, HMRC positions that companies have you know and, and if they've got time to pay with HMRC which indicates there is an issue there they will want to know about that and how that's being managed and, and monitor it um, a lot more closely uh, to ensure that you know there, there isn't an issue there for them because they don't want to suffer that that shortfall on the the unsecured debt. Georgina you've covered so much ground there it's amazing and it's such a technical area um, so thank you for that I mean I mean my advice to anybody that's got any struggles at all any concerns and just get a sounding as to whether they've got a problem or not it just doesn't hurt it just doesn't do any harm um, Ignoring the problem, if there is a problem, you know, it's not going to help at all. So uh, that's ex exceptional. And, and I do understand why it's deemed to be a separate area of our business. You know, you have to have a separate skill set to deal with all the various legislation and issues that come along. So, you know, thank you for that. Thanks, Brendan. So it just remains to say that uh, any first meeting, if directors or individuals do want to come and, and discuss the potential difficulties they're facing, is for free. So no harm in picking up the phone, coming in and um, discussing the matter with us. And that's in confidence, isn't it? Yes, it, it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's it's one to one. Excellent. That's a great opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. As always, please get in touch if you'd like to explore this topic further. Um, you can contact us on info at mhllp.co.uk or you can visit our website mha-uk.co.uk or find us on LinkedIn or Twitter. But please do get in contact if you do have any concerns as to your own personal position. Thank you.